and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me today. And we're going to get into all of the headlines, the president releasing uh, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's not enough to get anything done. Uh, there's new polling out. There's new polling out for President Trump. Uh, there's there's all sorts of stuff out there. But I want to start somewhere else, and I would really like to have your attention for this one, if you don't mind, in all seriousness, as I wear my Atlanta World Series champions hoodie. Yay, it finally came in weeks after the game. Let me just spend a moment with you. In 2016, I think if you're a regular listener, you know this. um, My wife was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it is not lung cancer from environmental causes. Uh, It's not radon. It's not smoking. She's never smoked. It's genetic. Uh, You know, we got married in October of 2000 and several months thereafter in January, January 20th of 2001. Remember, because I watched the Bush inauguration in the hospital, uh, she had a double mastectomy because her family has a very bad history of breast cancer. And we thought we were dodging a bullet. And then 16 years later, suddenly um, she has lung cancer and it's genetic. Uh, If they were to do a lung transplant, her new lungs would get it as well. So there's really nothing we can do other than she takes a small pill every day and it keeps the cancer from growing. One day the pill will stop working. We're not there yet, thankfully. With metronomic regularity, every three months she goes and has a scan. Uh, She has a lot of very tiny tumors in her lungs. They're too numerous to remove. Uh, too small to remove and too numerous, and they this pill keeps them from growing. On the day, on the day that the Mayo Clinic called her to tell her they thought she had lung cancer was the day that I was rushed into a cardiac ICU unit and given 24 hours to live. Uh, the, the next 20, if I ever hear the next 24 hours again, um, it, 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 I would like to go the rest of my life without ever hearing about the next 24 hours relating to me. Um, They all happened on the same day. I thought I had just started CrossFit and was too old and couldn't keep up and then assumed it was allergies and nope, it was uh, blood clots had slowly been accumulating in my lungs uh, to the point where my blood oxygen level was about 85% and I couldn't go three or four steps without stopping. It was kind of funny. I'm known in the office as being the fast walker. Uh, I, I walk faster than pretty much anyone I know. And in the office, um, I couldn't keep up with anybody. And, and my boss at the time, uh, the big farmer, we called him. It was like, uh, there's something wrong. Uh, there, there's something really wrong. And my wife as well. And, and I went for those scans. And as I was waiting to be put into a bed in the ICU, the Mayo Clinic called my wife and said, you need to come out here. We're pretty sure you have lung cancer. Um, th- th- that was 2016. And I am on the mend. My wife, obviously, there's there's her cancer is not growing. She had her scans last week. They were good. But last year, because of COVID, given her health and mine, we lived a very cloistered existence. We could not gather with family for Thanksgiving. We did not have a vaccine. 
We were very worried about her health in particular, more so than mine. I'm largely recovered. But we stayed home. For a good portion of the pandemic, I did all the grocery shopping, and I, I tend to even now do the grocery shopping. You know, you can use Instant Cart and have groceries delivered in some parts of the country, including where we live, but uh, your, your meats and your vegetables and your produce, you want to go pick that stuff out for yourself. You don't want to rely on other people to pick that stuff for you. You, you want to get the best and, and they don't necessarily will, they don't necessarily always get the best. And, but there was a point during the pandemic where I would go some Saturdays and Sundays, I would go three and four grocery stores trying to get everything on the list because there were shortages One store, you couldn't find ketchup. Another store, you couldn't find hamburger. Another store, you couldn't find toilet paper. Another store, you couldn't find milk. And and around and around you go trying to get everything on the list and take all day to go grocery shopping. And you couldn't go to church for a while either. And then people slowly started getting back together. But given my wife's health and mine, we lived a very isolated existence. I took several trips. Uh, I took several trips. Uh, at, At one point, I did go out to Las Vegas. Uh, work-related in that case, not pleasure. And I had to mask and wash my hands constantly and keep hand sanitizer with me and stay away from people, avoided the crowds, avoided the casinos, avoided everything. And even then, after that, limited my travel. Uh, Didn't do group gatherings in Atlanta like I, I like to. I love to get together with listeners around the country. I like to get together with listeners. I like to connect one-on-one in real person. Couldn't do that for the last year. I have not been able to do that. And finally, in the last year with the vaccine, we've slowly gotten life back together again. My wife and I got vaccinated early on, and it it certainly worked because our kids got COVID. We didn't even realize at the time they had mild cases, but they got it. The antibodies showed that they definitely had it, uh, and we never got it. And then in August, I was with my dad, uh, brought him over to Atlanta for a Braves game from Louisiana, And we spent a lot of time together and he was COVID positive. We didn't realize it at the time. Uh, The Sunday he flew home, uh, he started feeling bad. And sure enough, it was COVID. And I was with him that whole weekend and never got it. In fact, I with my cousins or my my brothers-in-laws that I was with, none of them got it. Um, The vaccine worked. My wife and I have gotten the booster now. And we finally feel like life is back to normal. And now, listen, I realized there were a lot of people who never shut themselves down and never alienated themselves from their family in, in various ways, and, and that's fine. We felt like we had to, particularly given uh, the health concerns we had. But at this point, there are people who still are living by fear, and we're not. And, and given our circumstances, you would think we would be, but we're, we're putting our faith in the data and the science and the vaccine, and we're willing to live life again. And I'm befuddled by the people who are still scared to death and refuse to live life. I was staying in a hotel the other day and got on an elevator and there were a group of people. Nobody had a mask on and a a middle-aged guy. It was an academic, there was an academic conference in the hotel, which tells you everything. Middle-aged guy opens the door. He's fully masked. He's got his gloves on like his little plastic gloves. And he freaks out at the number of people on the elevator and begins to lecture everyone. And some woman at the front pushed to close the elevator door button and close the door on him. He clearly wasn't getting on. So we moved on, (laughs) but life goes on. Three weeks ago, I took the kids over to my dad's 82nd birthday in Louisiana. We flew uh, on Delta and the only place we saw people wearing masks was in the airport. And no one in Louisiana is wearing masks anymore. It's like everybody there has already uh, gotten it and either died or survived. It was so bad there for a while. 
my wife the same weekend, and the reason we really were able to go, my wife had a conference she wanted to go to in Nashville, a quilting uh, thing up there. She quilts. And so she went up there to a small gathering of people, and it was her first time being gathered. And, and all the women there made the decision not to wear masks. Life goes on. And then this past weekend, for the first time in a year and a half, we gathered with my wife's entire family and had Thanksgiving last weekend. We had everything that you have for Thanksgiving and then some, lots of pies. I mean, I'm round enough. The, the thing that, that the, the pie and I have in, in common is circumference. And we had the turkey and the dressing. Uh, we had the, the sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, green beans, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, Kentucky Derby pie, um, buttermilk pie. You name it. It was, it was fantastic. Now, I, I say all this not to bore you, but to tell you, we have a lot to be thankful for this year in particular. Uh, me personally and my family, we have a lot to be thankful for. But all of us, we've come through the other side. Some of us have lost loved ones in the past year. And some of us will, before the end of this year, lose loved ones, unfortunately. I have a friend whose mother is not doing well and not expected to make it. But there is still so much that we can be thankful for. If we choose to be thankful, we can be thankful. Unfortunately, I find the more people spend time on social media, the less thankful they are. The less they have empathy for other people. The less they're willing to show grace to other people. Everyone draws new dividing lines to draw each other into smaller and smaller boxes. You're either in the tribe or you're not in the tribe. And if you're not in the tribe, there's no grace. There's no compassion. There's no empathy. You're just bad. You're the enemy. And we've internalized that the other side is the enemy. It doesn't matter what the other side is. The other side is the enemy. COVID made it very easy for us to become more tribal and divided and isolated. Isolation and division at this point is a choice. The virus is no longer what's dividing us. There are some politicians still dividing us. Some would say by control, some would say by fear, but they're still dividing us. Regardless of their reason, they're dividing us. And there are some people who still wish to be isolated and divided. They still wish to hold their fellow man in contempt for not doing what they're doing to be miserable. Some people are just mad at the world because they're miserable and scared of the virus. And the rest of us have moved on, including my family. We've, we've moved on. We choose not to live by fear. We took the precautions necessary when we needed to take those precautions. And we're still rather precautious people. We always are. We're not giant people, people, people anyway. We, we don't hang out in mass, massive crowds. We don't like crowds, but we like people and we get to be with people. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have thanks for my wife's clean scans and our health and our children and our family and our ability to see each other without masks and to see each other's smiles. There's a lot to be thankful for this holiday season. And unfortunately, there will be a lot of people who want to divide themselves from their family based on politics. And I got to tell you, in my experience, in my personal life, the people who most want to divide themselves from others are the people who don't like Donald Trump. And they, they don't want to have anything to do with the rest of their family who disagree with them. They have turned politics into their religion. And they don't want to be with the heretics. Jesus was with the sinners 
but they themselves hold themselves to a higher standard than Jesus, apparently. You should be with your family. Now, some people, because of family situations, really don't want to be with their family. And in many explainable cases, you can understand why. But we oftentimes make families of our own. All of us, I think, particularly in the South where I am, we have aunts and uncles who aren't really our aunts and uncles. They're longtime family friends. You make family. And you should be with those people this Thanksgiving season. Some people can't because of work, because of travel, because of demands. But we should still, regardless, make time to be thankful. Because there is so much to be thankful for in this country. This country is more divided than it has been in decades. Some would say hyperbolically since the Civil War, that's not really true. If you know American history, it's really not true. But it is deeply divided. Division is a choice. Division is a choice. Unity, too, is a choice. In a world where there's less empathy and less grace, uh, division becomes the easy choice. Multiplication and unity become the hard choices. But the hard choices build better character. The better character of our country, I think, deserves us to work as we can to remember that though we disagree with each other often, we're not each other's enemies, we're each other's neighbors, and we're supposed to love our neighbors whether we want to or not. Sometimes it is so hard to do. But I am thankful for each of you listening every day. I'm thankful for my family. And I'm thankful that the world goes on without great calamity at the moment. Maybe that calamity will come, but we'll be in it together when it does. And if it doesn't, we'll be in whatever we're in together. And so I just would like to encourage you guys to not be fearful this holiday season, to not be worried, to enjoy each other and look around even in in desperate conditions. There's always something to be thankful for. And in fact, oftentimes it's in the desperate positions and the desperate times when you're given 24 hours to live when your wife is diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer, that you find you really appreciate the things you truly are thankful for more than you ever have. And while I hope that none of you have to go through any of that, I hope that you will have some moment this week where you can sit down and reflect on the things for which you are thankful. Now, when we come back, we'll get into the news because there's a lot of it. Wow. Um, so uh, my intrepid producer, I saw he didn't send it to me. He put it out on social media where I happened to stumble upon it. <laughs> uh, this is from ABC seven in San Francisco. Listen to this nonsense. Experts caution use of looting to describe rash of San Francisco Bay area smash and grabs. Bay Area police departments have called what happened at various retail stores this weekend looting. We saw similar crimes happen in the wake of the George Floyd protests. But are the past weekend's crimes truly considered looting? Race and social justice reporter Julian Glover is here to give some context of looting. As the Bay Area grapples with a wave of seemingly organized smash-and-grab robberies this weekend, policing and journalism analysts are cautioning against using the term looting, Julian says. The Louis Vuitton store was burglarized and looted. The Burberry and Westfield Mall was burglarized and looted, said San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott. Oh, my gosh. The 
Penal code defines looting as theft or burglary during a state of emergency, local emergency, or evacuation order resulting from an earthquake, fire, flood, riot, or other natural or man-made disaster. To some, the distinction may be small, but Lorenzo Boyd, Ph.D., Professor of Hemorrhoid Analysis, or I'm, I'm sorry, I misread that, Criminal Justice and Community Policing at the University of New Haven, and a retired police officer emphasizes words matter. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? Looting is a term that we typically use when people of color or urban dwellers are doing something. We tend not to use that term for other people when they do the exact same thing. Wait a second. When other people do the exact same thing, where were the other people doing the looting in San Francisco? Oh my gosh. This is this is absurd. This is why San Francisco has all the problems it has. We don't use looting for other people doing the smashing grabs. Where were the other people doing the smashing grabs? The organized smashing grabs. I'm happy to call it a smashing grab. I'm happy to call it a burglary. I'm happy to call it a looting. It was looting, by the way. I mean, you had people smash the windows and other people running in and out of the stores stealing stuff. And you know, if it's $900 or less, they're not going to get prosecuted for the shoplifting. This is the absurdity of the day from San Francisco. It explains everything you need to know. And you will note the media is in on it. The social race and social justice reporter, which pretty much tells you everything you need to know. Wow. Speaking of race and social justice, hey, uh, you in Georgia need to know, those of you in Georgia and those of you in Arizona need to know that your senators, Mark Kelly in Arizona and Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in Georgia, intend to cut the funds of public hospitals. In Atlanta, we've got a great big public hospital called Grady Memorial Hospital. Uh, Warnock and Ossoff, Mark Kelly, and, and the other Democrats intend to gut the funding for this and other hospitals. Why? Because Republican states have not expanded Obamacare. And as punishment for not expanding Obamacare, they're going to cut hospital funds for every state that has not funded Obamacare. This is a new provision added to the Build Back Better plan. I'm sure Georgia voters are just excited to know that their hospital funding will be cut because their two Georgia senators support it. Raphael Warnock is the face of doing it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let us go to the phones. Megan, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hi there, Eric. I had a, a thought to share with you. Um, I don't. I almost agree with the PhD from your last story about the looting in San Francisco because it doesn't seem that looting is the right word. Um, because uh, from your definition, looting should be sometime. Uh, it's taking things when there's a, a chaos or some kind of event that just is out of the norm. And based on the videos, it seemed like it was just a normal day with the customers and the employees inside the store. It seems like this is just a burglary. 
Yeah, a, a smash and grab or a burglary. Now, there were a couple of instances where the police say, and, and I think this is why they're calling it looting, is that while there was not an organized riot or state of emergency, uh, there was clearly someone smashing into the plate glass window and then a horde of people storming in, some who appeared to be organized with it and then others who saw what was going on and came in as well. So uh, that's why they're calling it looting. Uh, but they're not going to be charged with the legal definition of looting. I, just common vernacular versus what they're actually charged with, I guess, will be two different things. Interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, people, and you know, this is, let's, this, this gets me to the first story. In San Francisco, this is the perfect segue into this story. Uh, in San Francisco, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in what the police are calling looting and the social justice advocates are saying, well, it wasn't really looting because there wasn't organized rioting. In one of the stores, I believe it was the Louis Vuitton story, uh, it wasn't just um, a, a handful of people going in and stealing stuff. It was actually smashing the windows, going in and grabbing, and then other people saw what was going on and also went. So they're saying looting. Now, of course, the social justice warriors are saying words mean things. You can't say looting. It, well, there was no rioting. Well, they, they kind of provoked a horde of people to storm into the stores. But how many of you knew that that actually happened? Because the national media covered the story, but did not cover the extensiveness uh, of, of what actually happened and how many people were involved. They, they treated it as isolated instances. The police say it seemed to be very organized, but it drew in other people as well, uh, particularly in San Francisco, not in some of the surrounding communities. I bring all of this up because of how quickly the media has moved on from the Waukesha, Wisconsin story. If you will recall, yesterday I said, Take the media at their word, just for the sake of argument, take the media at their word that that guy was fleeing a crime and happened to take a wrong turn into the parade. Why should we believe them, given how much they've gotten everything else wrong? I mean, the problem here is that you can't believe the media on that stuff anymore because they willfully get the stuff wrong. And guess what? They got it wrong. The chief of police in Waukesha, Wisconsin, has come out and said, in fact, the man was not fleeing a crime. Uh, he was not being chased for fleeing a crime. He had committed a domestic disturbance, but there was no police chase. He was not fleeing. He just decided to drive into the crowd. Now, most of the media outlets, including CNN and MSNBC, mentioned that overnight and have now moved on to other things as if it wouldn't happen. Ask yourself if the guy was white. I mean, this is the thing the media likes to do. Over the last several days, there has been multiple commentaries in the media. There have been multiple commentaries in the media. That if Kyle Rittenhouse were black, he would have been shot. A friend of mine pointed out, you know, the same day he was found not guilty, a black man was found not guilty in a SWAT raid for shooting a police officer. Uh, it was in self-defense. And Brianna Taylor, who died, her boyfriend was found not guilty, self-defense. But yet the media epistemically believes that if Kyle Rittenhouse had been black, he would have been shot. You know what I believe? What I believe is if 
the guy who ran into the Christmas parade and killed those people were white, we would be on day 30 of the coverage eventually. The media wouldn't let it go, particularly if there were a Trump sticker on the guy's car. They're still talking about January 6th. This is part of why we can't have nice things in this country. The media has picked a side. If the man who drove his car into that crowd was a white Trump voter, my gosh, the media coverage would be intense. But because he was black, the media has run away from that story as fast as possible. They, they, they don't want to do stereotypes. We can't stereotype. That would be bad if we stereotyped. Oh, they don't care if it's a white dude. And they will go on television and say, if, if Kyle Rittenhouse were black, pay no attention to Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, pay no attention to the guy on the same day as Kyle Rittenhouse, pay no attention to all of these examples. And by the way, Charlie just points out, there were a large number of well-armed black men and women in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Kyle Rittenhouse protecting businesses. Did you know that? Forgot about that myself, but it's true. And they did not get gunned down by the police. In fact, there was a, a father and daughter carrying ARs. They were black the other day at, a, at an anti-Rittenhouse protest. They did not get gunned down. They were carrying weapons. And you know what? The media reaction was, oh, I bet the right wing is going to hate these people. No, God bless them. And all the people say, if Kyle Rittenhouse was black, the right wing would be vilifying them. No. No, there were heroes who were black in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Kyle Rittenhouse protecting businesses. But yet, that's what the media thinks. They're, they're, they're very open. And, you know, I should not say the media here. This is something else in all the double standards. Because I hear this all the time. The media, you're the media, you're the media. A lot of conservatives like to say the media, the mainstream media. The New York Timeses and the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the Washington Post and the USA Todays and the ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS. And yet they'll say it's not the media, it's reporters of the media. But you know what? It's, it's all well and good for members of the media to say that, but they blanket Republicans. Republicans think, Trump voters think. They do it too. Conservatives, white people. Members of the media are some of the most notorious throwing blankets, bracketing people into groups, and, and yet they get upset when you do it about the media. It is the mainstream media. It is the ABCs, the CBSs, the NBCs, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the New York Timeses, the Washington Posts, the Los Angeles Timeses, the, the, the USA Todays that would give day-after-day front-page coverage to the guy in Waukesha, Wisconsin, if he were white and ran over those people that prayed, particularly if he had a Trump sticker on his car. I mean, they're still talking, forget January 6th, they're still talking about Charlottesville in the media. There is a real double standard when it comes to that and their perspective. All of the people saying if Kyle Rittenhouse were black. Well, there were a number of black men found not guilty for self-defense. There were a number of black men who were in the streets with Kyle Rittenhouse on his side in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And, you know, in this regard, the Democrats actually have a problem. Where is this? Uh, Charlie Sykes, who is at the bulwark, actually has a piece on this. And I want to read you part of this. Wisconsin Democrats have a Kenosha problem, and it could cost them big at the polls in 2022. 
In Wisconsin, Democrats have a Kenosha problem from the police shooting of Jacob Blake to the protests and riots that followed, and now the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, and it could cost them the state's governorship and a Senate seat next year. Even before Rittenhouse's acquittal on Friday, it was clear that the incidents in Kenosha were going to cast a long shadow over the 2022 elections in Wisconsin. But the verdict highlighted the deep partisan divisions. Moments after the Rittenhouse verdict was announced, Sean Patrick Maloney, head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, issued a statement denouncing the acquittal. It's disgusting and disturbing, he said, that someone was able to into carry a loaded assault rifle into a protest against the unjust killing of Jacob Blake, an unarmed black man. There is a problem. Jacob Blake was not killed, just paralyzed. He was not unarmed. He was, in fact, holding a razor blade type knife when he was shot. And the protests also included riots, vandalism, and looting that cost more than $50 million in damage and destroyed local businesses. Since the video of a police officer firing seven shots into Blake's back went viral in August 2020, a moment when anger over the killing of George Floyd was still at its peak, and much of the media and political world has insisted on seeing the incident through the prism of Black Lives Matters. More than a year later, Wisconsin Democrats remain committed. There's just one problem. It is not true. The Biden Justice Department found there was insufficient evidence that the police officer who shot Blake willfully used excessive force. The initial video of Blake's shooting seemed to provide incontrovertible evidence of unwarranted police violence. But there have been multiple investigations, including by a prominent and highly respected black police officer in Wisconsin. And it turns out that it was Lakeisha Booker, the mother of Blake's children, who called the police. Blake took the keys to her rental car, refused to return them. When police arrived, she flagged them down. Her kids were in the car with Blake. She was afraid Blake was going to take the vehicle and crash it. He had done so before. The officers attempted to arrest him. He put one of the officers in a headlock. They tried to do him with a taser. Blake pulled the prongs of the taser out. It didn't phase him. Blake repeatedly ignored police officers to drop his razor-like knife. By the time he was walking in front of the SUV, the knife was open, the blade was exposed. And they feared Blake was going to stab one of the officers. And the officer could not retreat because he was between Blake and the kids. He was afraid Blake would take the kids hostage or harm them. Seven shots in 2.5 seconds. Police are trained to keep shooting until the danger is incapacitated. Even the Justice Department agreed with this. And yet, the Democrats have turned Blake into some sort of hero. They've praised him. They've wanted to seek justice for him. They have denied what actually went. And then there's the Rittenhouse case itself, where it was very clear. Republicans rallied to his defense. Democrats protested. You saw the evidence, and the evidence became incontrovertible that Kyle Rittenhouse was engaged in self-defense, and yet the Democrats refused to believe it. Back to Charlie uh, Charlie Sykes. Joseph Ritten, uh, Rosenbaum was a convicted sex offender. Anthony Huber, who's seen on video swinging a skateboard at Rittenhouse, served prison terms for domestic violence. Details Republicans will point out. You know, MSNBC had on Anthony Huber's dad to say how wonderful Huber was. Again, he served prison terms for domestic violence. Rosenbaum was a pedophile. 
the Democrats wish to honor their memories. We got all sorts of problems here with the Democratic narrative. And you've got Charlie Sykes from the Bulwark saying this could be bad. This could be really bad. Let me read you the end of his piece here so you get the real sense of just how bad it is. Republicans are convinced that all of this, the Democrats' premature judgments about about the Blake shooting, their failure to control the violence, and the rhetorical response to the Rittenhouse verdict will be potent wedge issues in next year's elections. The most recent Marquette poll found that more than two-thirds of Wisconsinites, 69%, say crimes rising nationally. So it's hardly a surprise when the leading GOP candidate for governor next year, former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Cleefish, launched her campaign with a video that made Kenosha a central theme. Speaking to the cameras, she said one year ago, Kenosha burned while Governor Tony Edvers failed to lead. $50 million up in smoke. Our police deserted and disrespected. Jobs destroyed. Lives lost. Small businesses burned because our governor sided with the rioters instead of the people of the community. On Friday, after the Rittenhouse verdict, Cleefish tweeted out the prosecution of the Rittenhouse trial was a complete disgrace. Praising the mob who burned our streets as heroes. As your governor, I'll always stand for law and order. Democrats may hate her rhetoric. But there are a whole lot of voters and a lot of data to suggest the voters will eat it up. The Democrats have been out to lunch on this issue for two years and the media has largely affirmed them. That's the problem they're going to have. Pierce, welcome to the program. Pierce, I don't want to leave you waiting. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. You know, about two years ago in July, there was a Second Amendment rally in Richmond because Virginia was passing more restrictions on gun laws. My grandson went up to be a part of it. And there was a bunch of guys, including the Proud Boys, who were at that rally. Mm -hmm. And there was a simultaneously across, just about across the street from the Second Amendment rally was a Black Lives Matter rally. And the there was anti-BLM people started showing up to create trouble with the Black Lives Matter. The Proud Boys and the Second Amendment rally ran across the street, formed an armed circle around the Black Lives Matter people to keep the, the uh, troublemakers away. And local law enforcement came in, got the troublemakers out, and, and one, of the, uh, one of the local law enforcement leader um commanders came over to the to the second amendment guys told them thank you you kept a lot of trouble down and by the way there's federal marshals coming down here headed to come get you guys and lock you up get out of here and my grandson told me that proud he says how can proud boys be a white supremacist movement when they have black hispanic and asian as members of the proud boys yeah, you know, the, the problem here, uh, Pierce, is that uh, the I don't know that, I, and I know a lot of people characterize the Proud Boys as a white supremacist group. I, I don't know that I'd characterize them as a white supremacist group, but they're not a good group, and your kid probably, your grandson probably shouldn't be hanging out with them. They've got all sorts of problems in and of themselves. Uh, I'm glad they didn't stir up trouble there, but they have a history of stirring up trouble in other places. Um, I, I don't know that um, your grandson needs to be associated with, that group. Um, and this isn't just media vilification that I'm buying into. Uh, I, 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 I know people affiliated and know what they do 
and I don't know that anybody needs to be affiliated with them. Um, it's just asking for trouble. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this in the next hour. The Democrats decided in Virginia in the Glenn Youngkin race that uh, they would try to make Glenn Youngkin the second coming of Donald Trump. Well, uh, there's been a ginormous focus group, a second one, by ALG Research. ALG Research is Joe Biden's pollster. And they did this on behalf of Third Way, which is a Democratic group trying to find a more moderate path forward. They did a big focus group of Biden to Yunkin voters in suburban Northern Virginia and in Richmond. Uh, big areas that had trended towards the Democrats and then broke hard for Glenn Youngkin. And here is a direct quote from their report. If we are running 2022 on Republican candidate equals Trump, we're getting killed. Virginia voters also didn't offer strong views on the Build Back Better plan on bigger versus smaller. Their beef is Democrats look like they're doing nothing but fighting when they want action on the economy. The main thing they know of Build Back Better is tuition, forgiveness, and free college, and those aren't even in the final piece of legislation. Fun times. Uh, Fun, fun times here for the Democrats. And, well, there's more data out there, and it's looking really bad for the Democrats come 2022. I'll tell you about it when we come back.